The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everyone, I'm Nick Gregorides and welcome to the first episode of my new show, which is the Liberation Mentor Podcast. It's a continuation from the show I've been doing for the last two years, which is the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast. And there's several reasons why I've chosen to rebrand and rename the podcast, and I'll explain them to you and also a little bit more about what to expect from the new show. Uh, But first, I want to thank all of you who have been listening to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast for the last uh, almost two years and close to 70 episodes. I really have appreciated the support. Uh, I've had a huge amount of feedback over the years, it seems that you guys have really resonated with the show, and uh, it seems that it's helped a lot of you, and I'm so glad that it was able to do that. You know, the reason I've decided to rebrand and, and move into a, a different, uh, a bunch of different avenues is, truth be told, I feel that jiu-jitsu was a, the, the subject of jiu-jitsu was a little bit limiting for where I wanted to take the show. You know, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for a hell of a long time now. It's been 20 years, and after a while, you kind of run out of things to talk about relating to jiu-jitsu. And I just felt that as much as I love jiu-jitsu and as much as it's allowed me to interact with amazing people and have an an incredible life, I just wanted to kind of expand my horizons and and what I was uh, putting out there. I I wanted to go beyond jiu-jitsu, and and that's going to be the tone of Liberation Mentor is uh it's going to be about health finances wealth entrepreneurship um relationships spirituality business all the things i find interesting i'm going to roll it into into one and the the goal behind it is that it helps people myself included find more levels of freedom passion, connection, and adventure in their lives. You know, actually, that's what all, that's what jiu-jitsu allowed me to do is all of those things. It gave me freedom, passion, adventure, and connection. And that's why, that's why I enjoyed it so much. And that's why I took it so far. And now I want to, I want to see what other things in life can give that to me and, and how I can share them with you guys. Because I feel that that's ultimately as men, what we are are looking for and this show is primarily uh, catered to men obviously there are going to be women that uh, listen to it but it's generally catered towards towards men because uh, I guess that's what I am and that's what I have most most experience with is being around men and interacting with men and it's the thing that inspires me most most is is helping men on their paths towards leading exceptional lives so as I said, the show is going to dabble in a lot of different things. The focus will probably be on entrepreneurship, relationships, and philosophy slash spirituality. Uh, another reason I've chosen to redirect the show to this to these avenues is because uh, since the end of last year, I started a secondary career as a coach and a mentor, and I've been working with several really interesting men over the course of that time for, for the whole uh, since the start of the year and i've been helping them to find liberation and actualization in certain aspects of their lives uh it's been a very interesting and enjoyable process and i've got these guys some amazing results and part of the reason for this show is also to to advertise my my services i I'm coaching men on a one-to-one basis, uh, and I, I do a certain number of. I take on a certain number of clients per quarter, and we're now entering Q3. So I'm, I'm. It's an intake for the next 12 clients, and if you want to find out more about that and what I do, just head on over to liberationmentor.com, and uh, there's a, a video you can watch there on what it's all about. And if it resonates with you, just fill out the short survey form and. Uh, We'll we'll do a call and, and see if we can work together. So guys, I if 
this is your thing and this is what you're interested in stay tuned this is the first of many episodes coming up if you're purely a jiu-jitsu guy and this is not your vibe that's cool uh, i wish you well and um i'll still be putting jiu-jitsu stuff out there not in podcast format but uh I'll still put up some some videos and stuff like that on YouTube. So and on Facebook, there's still a Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Facebook page, which is still pretty popular and going well. So you so keep an eye on that. Uh, but let's get going on this new endeavor, guys. Uh, the first episode is with Josh Mason, who is someone that uh, has basically been through hell on earth and come out the other side. And through that process in which he, he fought for, for healing of his mind, body, and spirit, he came back with some very interesting knowledge. And that's why I wanted to have him on the show. He also coincidentally happens to be a jiu-jitsu guy, a very good purple belt, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he's going to share our story with us now. So let's dive into the Liberation Mentor Podcast with Episode 1, Josh Mason. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Josh Mason, who is someone I've known for... How long has it been, Josh? Two, three years, four years? Yeah, three, four years, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. And Josh has a very cool business called the Detox Dudes. And, you know, Josh hit me up several years ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, Josh. I just replied because I reply to everyone. I try to be polite and, and message everyone back. I didn't really know much about you. And then a post came up on my Facebook that you had done about something that you went through health-wise, which... To be honest, I don't really often read long posts on Facebook, but something just grabbed me, something about that. And I, I sent it to my fiance at the time to read as well. And uh, it, it was just a profoundly moving, incredibly powerful description of someone who had really battled to reclaim his health. And that's something, health is something I'm so interested in because you know, for me, my highest value in life uh, is actually freedom, but very close to that is health. And I think those two are very closely linked as well. It's difficult to have a lot of freedom in your life when you don't have a lot of health. You, know, you can't really go and do cool stuff and explore the world and live your dreams when you're, when you're struggling uh, with your health. So I, I'm so excited to have you on the show. As, as Actually, you're going to be the first guest. I'm excited mm -hmm. to have you on so that you can uh, perhaps help other people by, by sharing your story. Thank you, Nick. Mm. Yeah, appreciate. Let's start at the beginning before we get into your business now and what you do. Mm. Um, a few years ago, you started basically having un inexplainable health issues. Is that right? Yeah. Before October 2013, I was living a pretty normal life, successful life. I was working at Microsoft uh, and actually that job had ended and started working in corporate America, uh, a, few, a few other jobs, just bouncing around, but doing a lot of cool stuff. And I was competing in jiu-jitsu. And uh, I won the 2010 Worlds as a white belt. I won the 2012 Pan Ams as a blue belt. Uh, won a bunch of stuff as a purple belt. And um, I was doing like amazing in life, you know? And, and then October 2013, I had a very sudden breakdown. Uh, in a matter of two weeks, my consciousness completely shifted from this jujitsu bro, you know, who was chatting with ladies on the street and doing whatever I wanted to do in life, living in the Lower East Side to all of a sudden, like basically losing it, you know, the, mm -hmm. just, just starting to feel like I was tripping without taking drugs, starting to feel this very, very anxious, um, neuroses kick in this, um, depression, fatigue, my digestive system started getting all funky. It was like, it was just like a breakdown. And, um, in that two week period of time, I completely changed. Um, everything changed for me, my whole life path, um, my whole understanding of the world of humanity of illness, you know, up until that point in time, I thought depression was for weak people. I thought that anxiety or depression were for people who just didn't have control over their mind or, or just like, you know, I had no compassion for that world. It was like, just like breathe and go train jujitsu or something, you know, sure. I get and it. get over your depression. Yeah. Um, so 
basically the the first route for me was to try psychiatric medicine mm-hmm. um and i i didn't want to go down that route so i probably took another month of, of agony before actually going down that route mm-hmm. and eventually i just had to listen to my family and the people closest to me who were all saying look you just have to go to a psychiatrist you know this is very serious and this is the route to take this is what we have available in this country right mm-hmm. so I did go to a psychiatrist and in a matter of an hour, I probably had five prescription drugs in my hand um, and I uh, started taking them. I was desperate. And because uh, if I may stop you, um, yeah. Josh, when you say you're desperate, it's because you were being tormented by a set of certain thoughts or you just didn't have control of your thoughts or what was going on. It was like, imagine somebody, you know, the feeling you have when you skip a step, and you feel like you're about to fall and you have this hit in your gut. Yes. I felt like that 24 seven. Wow. And and it was like literally as if someone had a gun point, the level of fight or flight and panic was as if somebody had a gun in my mouth Hmm. like every second of the day. Um, And it was just pure panic, torture, looping, looping thoughts about how (laughs) I was going to die, how my life was over, how, very, very, very dark, bizarre places um, that didn't, sometimes it was so fast and rapid, the level of thoughts and neuroses that I couldn't even tell you what was going on in my head. It was just a storm. And um, so, yeah, basically every symptom imaginable. I mean, the depression was like a break. When I felt depressed, it was like a break because the panic and the anxiety was a layer that prevented me from even feeling depressed because I was just like shaking all the time, you know, nervous all the time. Um, The only, like the other thing I can equate it to is a really bad weed trip, you know, in the midst of Mm -hmm. a bad acid trip or a bad weed trip, like the worst, the worst, the worst of the trip where you're just completely lost. My God. That's how I lived. I lived in that space. God damn. I can't even imagine. Well, so you're at the psychiatrist and his solution is to prescribe you five different types of meds. Yeah. Within an hour of hearing my life and my history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm guessing, you know, I don't want to take the show. I don't want it to be this kind of totally alternative show that, that doesn't give any homage to Western medicine. And that is just all about hippie um, (laughs) kind of out there stuff. But I've experienced similar things with, with certain health issues where, you know, the doctor just, (sighs) I hate to say it, but you are literally just a number to him. You're just moving through through a system and he doesn't treat you as a whole person. It's just, oh, this person must have X or he gets Y, as opposed to asking questions like, what is really going on with, for this human being? What are his unique set of circumstances and characteristics and, and, and trying to find out a little bit more about you? I mean, I'm guessing that's what you experience. For 100%. And, and- <laughs> I have a few things to say about that. Number one is, you know, not even one question about my diet, right? About my diet and my lifestyle and exercise. And like a psychiatrist is supposed to be a mental health expert and they're not going to ask me one question about my diet. I mean, in hindsight, that sounds, it seems crazy to me, but in our culture, that's just normal, right? What, what you put in has no effect on your mind or your body, according to our culture. The other thing I will say to prevent this being from a total new age hippie show is that uh, one drug that he gave me uh, called clonopin, the benzodiazepines, mm-hmm. uh, was a lifesaver for me. Um, I didn't take it often, but in the darkest, darkest of times before I started drinking ayahuasca, mm-hmm. um, that was a drug that allowed me to survive. So there is a, definitely a time and place in serious mental crisis uh, mode uh, crisis experiences for people spiritual mental crises uh whatever that word is (laughs) crises Crises, i always say i always say look if i break my arm i'm going to the emergency room and i'm going to go see an allopathic trained Mm -hmm. western doctor i'm not going to go and put some herbs on it and say a chant on it you know what i mean like uh for any anything trauma related i think allopathic western medicine cannot be beaten and also for you know the story i always tell is i was in thailand and i got this intestinal parasite from eating street food uh my wife and i both got this parasite and 
you know, I'm always resistant to taking any drug unless I absolutely have to. And so we thought, okay, we'll do this in natural way. So we got all these black walnut shell detox elixirs and God knows what else and tried everything for six weeks. After six weeks, this intestinal parasite wasn't healing. And I just said, fuck it, I'm going to the doctor. Doctor prescribed one strong course of antibiotics and within three days it was gone. And I was like, okay, I, I have to come back to the center when it comes to, to medicine and health and wellness and realize that, you know, there's some pretty fucking smart people who are, are doctors and they're standing on the shoulders of pretty smart people are building off the research of hundreds and hundreds of years. I always speak about um, a very close friend of mine, Dr. Mark Barton, who is, he's a very intelligent man. And if anything's wrong with me, he's actually the first person I'll always ask for, for an opinion because he's one of those open-minded Western doctors. You know, he's not, he knows that he doesn't have all the answers, but he's also seen a lot of things. For example, um, vaccines. He says to me, look, Nick, I know vaccines work. I know they do. You, you're never going to convince me that they don't work because I have literally seen them work. I know the science behind them. I know why they work. I know it's not some big conspiracy to get mercury into your system. Like vaccines absolutely work. And that really stuck with me. And, and uh, yeah, that just brought me back to the middle a little bit. So it's great for me to hear when you say the clonopin did have some effect. Um, I think people need to know that you have to walk the middle ground, right? When you're working with your health, right? Yeah, the merging of the eagle and the condor, right? The ancient medicine. Oh, it's a an, it's a prophecy that talks about how the world will really shift in terms of health and well-being when we merge Western science with ancient medicine, and the eagle and the condor will fly together. And I That's completely cool. agree with that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay, so um, uh, sorry to segue you so far off track, but uh, you took when your doctor saw you would take clonopin. Um, but besides that, did these medications have an effect? Well, I mean, I guess they had some side effects. And These medications were very, very, very awful for me. Um, they made me feel very numb. They made me feel disconnected from my body, disconnected from any sort of joy. Even an ounce of joy that I had before was gone. I just wanted to watch TV, float around. It was like limbo between life and death. Mm -hmm. So I actually made an executive decision and decided to just flush these medications down the toilet after a few months. Um, what I did actually is I, I restarted researching ayahuasca and I came across your uh, podcast. What was it called? The journey podcast or um, I think I spoke about um, ayahuasca on the London real podcast at some London point. real. Yeah, yeah. The heart of darkness. Maybe that was the name of the That's episode. The one, yeah. My heart yeah. of darkness. Yeah. And um so I started listening to that and Aubrey Marcus uh, talking about his experience on Joe Rogan and doing research. And there was a National Geographic article. And what I did is I, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go do this plant medicine. And once I decided to do that, I flushed all my medications down the toilet. Not advisable to anybody. It went through a horrible, horrible withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I flew to the Amazon in a very, very bad state of mind. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't even imagine what I mean for me flying a long haul flight. I don't enjoy them at all for many reasons besides the discomfort, but just generally I get a little bit anxious no matter how often I fly. It's still there. So I cannot even imagine being in that state of mind on an eight to 10 hour flight. That must have been incredibly difficult, Josh. Count the minutes. I was counting the minutes, the seconds, just breathing, oh. counting and uh praying and mm. praying mm -hmm. um and to be honest with you under that level of torture wherever you go there you are i could have been i could have been in my bed with the best sheets the best comforter the best tv show uh with the sun beaming on my face and i was the same as being in an airport or being on an airplane it was mm -hmm. torture all the time yeah mm -hmm. i understand Okay, so you fly up to the Amazon? I fly to the Amazon and I'm supposed to do uh, five ceremonies. And I do one ceremony and freak out. I completely freak out. You know, ayahuasca just reveals what's already cooking underneath. And so it just magnified and intensified the experience. Furthermore, my body was super toxic. I mean, my diet was not good. 
Um, I had pharmaceutical drugs still in me, you know, mm -hmm. the it weeks or months to purge out of your system. And uh, I was just a, a, a ball of darkness. And that's what ayahuasca highlighted to me. And I spun out of control. And the man leading the retreat was just like, it's not like I was screaming or making a ruckus, but I was just like begging, like, like telling them how panicky I was and like, can you please help me? You know, I was a disturbance, but I wasn't going crazy, if that makes sense. Sure. Right? Like I wasn't causing a scene, but I was really struggling and asking for help. Okay. And uh, so he told me that he just didn't feel that he had the resources to, to help me. Um, and I didn't think I should drink again. So I flew home two days after arriving to Peru after quitting my job. I had like a little crappy job at that point just to make ends meet and, you know, flying to the Amazon, spending all of my money that I had left. And I, two days later, I'm flying back home. And there's a whole story about the airplane on the way home. I could talk for an hour about that story, but basically. I'd love to hear that, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I had a full-blown panic attack. Um, you know, there, with panic and anxiety, there's these degrees that I experienced in my life. It's like there's up until this certain line, there's like a level of composure where really only someone that really knows you would know how much, for me, how much I was suffering. I could be mm -hmm. sitting there smiling at someone and I'm like dying on the inside, right? And then I crossed a certain line many, many times, which when I just became a two-year-old child crying, begging for help, begging for something. I don't even know what I was begging for. Um, and that is when it didn't matter where I was, who was around me, it's, I lost it and I needed clonopin or I needed love or I needed understanding. I needed someone to like really get me and not get me from a place of like just being there for me. I needed someone to like have gone through an experience like sure. that and be like, it's hey, tough because not many people have gone through that. No, no. Oh. Even to this day, I rarely, only my clients are the people yeah. who, who have gone through it. Um, so, wow. I haven't talked about this in a while. I feel myself getting uh, a little bit shaky. Hmm. So, um, so basically I'm on the plane and I just freak out and I start asking people for, before even getting on the plane, I'm like walking back and forth in the airport in Peru, like begging people in Spanish for benzodiazepines. And literally after an hour and a half of walking back and forth, a pretty small airport, this American woman comes up to me who had already asked, I, I was asking people like, do you have a prescription for Xanax? I left mine at home and I'm having panic. This woman comes up to me and she's like, I've been watching you walk back and forth for the past hour and a half. And I just can't watch you anymore. Do not tell my husband I gave these to you. Like two Xanax. Wow. Take what the Xanax. Angel. I like take a shot of vodka at the bar because of how much I'm struggling and uh, fall asleep for an hour, get on the plane, start panicking again. And then I call the flight attendant and I just say, look, I have a panic disorder. Uh, I left my medication at home and I really need help. So they bring me to the back of the plane and I'm just crying and holding my heart and just thrashing about. And um, Josh, sorry to, to disturb, uh, to interrupt yeah. just right. Uh, I just have to say, funny enough, today, uh, I just told someone, literally this morning, it's strange, I haven't mentioned this story for a long time, I had the exact same thing. I had a panic attack on an airplane on a flight to Australia about 10 years ago. Uh, and I also called the air hostess and I was like, I'm having a panic attack, I need help. And they took me to the back of the plane, so I'm right there with you on the story, but please keep going. Thank you, bro. <laughs> so they take me to the back of the plane and, and they make an announcement on the loudspeaker. And eventually this like American firefighter came and an and a, and a American a Colombian nurse and they had the clonopin calm down for a little bit. A couple hours later, we landed. I get escorted off the plane first. I'm like, they like literally the second the plane lands, they like bring me out to the front of the plane. 
and uh, I'm at JFK getting checked. They're checking all of my cavities and everything, thinking that I'm some, some sort of drug trafficker or some, some, you know, I had stuck something up my ass and then they, I freaked out or something. <laughs> so, and eventually I got out of there about an hour later and we went right to a, a mental hospital in, uh, wow. in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. I begged my dad to take me. I just said, dad, I may kill myself. And, uh, we went right to that hospital and, uh, wow, man, it's so weird. Like I've, my, I don't talk about the whole story a lot anymore. And like, I'm going back into these spaces and I'm finding myself like, yeah, you know what I would suggest to you is that, um, if those memories are still emotionally charged, that there's probably some sort of energetic residue uh, that you need to process and deal with and let go. Sure. Uh, this is a big theme in my life at the moment. I'm, I'm for the third time. I've just finished a book called letting go the pathway to surrender by David R. Hawkins, uh, which I can say categorically is one of the three best books I've or three most influential books I've ever read. Um, and in it, one of the exercises he gets you to do is you, you basically, you digging around in your psyche for all the most difficult experiences you've had. And if there's an emotional charge to them, it means that you still carry that energetic frequency within you. And unless you allow it to be expressed, it will continue to cause issues in your life. It will continue to play out in your life in ways you can't even tell. So. I mean, I won't go into the process now, but I strongly suggest you check out that book and maybe do that, do the, the exercises with a view to, because that's, that's trauma you went through. It's what you went through is traumatic. It's obviously, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not a psychotherapist, but it's clear that that, that was a very traumatic experience yeah. and that uh, there's still a bit of residue from that. So I don't no know. Doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you. And, and this will be medicine for me just talking here to you. <laughs> so you know, I, uh, I'm, I, I go to the hospital and uh, I spent five and a half, maybe six days there and learned a lot. I learned a lot in those five and a half, six days about the, again, that's a whole other chapter that if I were to write a book, I could, I could write a whole chapter on this one experience and, and talk about all the lessons. Wow. But for time's sake, I mean, I'll just say that I saw the level of brokenness of the system, of the mental health system, mm -hmm. and the level of brokenness of some human beings uh, in this world. Mm. It was awakening for me to be in that hospital. It was a reality check of how well I was, despite how panicky I was and how depressed sure. and anxious I was. I looked at myself compared to some of the people here, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like I have it, I have it easy, you know, mm -hmm. people are pacing back and forth and hitting their head and knocking their head on the wall and speaking to themselves and they're just lost in the sauce completely. And I had mm -hmm. a fraction of a witness, uh, watching all of it happen. I had the observer, even if it was just 0.1% of me that was observing, I had it and I never wanted to let that go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I kind of, uh, Josh, I'm. I don't even know what to say, man. I've, I've, there's a guy in LA in where I met my wife actually in Westwood. It's a little part of LA and it's the strangest thing. Westwood is, is a very affluent, trendy area. A lot of kids from UC, it's right by UCLA. A lot of kids from UCLA are hanging around. There's like a lot of upmarket stores and just, you can smell the wealth and success and, and it's just a really, really cool, upmarket place right and there's this one guy every now and then this mad guy he just runs through the streets screaming but like screaming in this talk not like just shouting things he's it's this howl this wail of torment and you can see this guy is just he's just gone right and i always think to myself the question i ask is what is his soul getting out of this? What is his soul getting out of him going through this experience? Because I can understand if you do certain things in life, like difficult things, like 
you know, going through a trial or a tribulation, or maybe someone goes through a tough divorce, but he learns many lessons, or you go and study some difficult course and you learn and grow and you, but what, what does that benefit? How does that benefit his soul? And, and, uh, I've never been given a good answer to that. What, what, and I guess the question I would ask you is those people that you saw during your time in this institution, do you think it's a karmic debt that they're paying off or what do you, what, what, how do you rationalize that? How do you reconcile it in your mind? I can only speculate. Um, my theory is that uh, some souls are for the majority absent from the body and the body has wow. been inhabited by other forces, mm. forces of darkness or entities or whatever we want to call them. And at that point in time, the, the soul of that individual is so fractured that um, I don't even believe it, it, it has to do with karma or maybe, maybe it has to do with karma, but I don't believe that that soul is even having an experience hmm. um, that maybe uh, it's like, maybe it's, lo it's lost forever, uh -huh. you know, that maybe that sure. that individual is just repeating that realm of hungry ghosts life after life after life. And that's part of his experience. I don't know how to recover, how an individual could recover from that level of fracturing or how a mm -hmm. soul could recover. Perhaps they come back in another life and, and have one you know, closer thread to sanity and then they're able to win. But uh, I don't know, a part of me feels like it's just... Uh, like a write-off if that sounds like mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be an asshole but like no, some, I get it. I get just it. like a bad apple you know like it's just wow he's gone he, this soul there's no lessons here you know yeah I had this one th so I, I appreciate that I've you know I said to I was ch chatting with someone a while back and I said that I think for some people some souls that come here to, to play this game to have this experience I really believe the human experience is a hell of a fucking ride. I've said it many times. It's, it's a very complicated, very intense. It's like, it's the biggest ride at, at, in the park, right? You know, and I think some, some souls get here and they, it's just too much for them. It's literally like you just arrive and it's just like, you know, all the things they have to think about, like death and money and relationships and, getting old and disease and war and it's just it's just too much do you know mm -hmm. what i mean like and i yeah. think i think there's certain people like who get to a point where when they understand the enormity of the task ahead of them they just gets out they're just like i it just short circuits and yeah. again i'm not a psychotherapist i'm not a psychologist i know there's a lot more to the workings of the mind and there's definitely a lot more to the workings of the soul but it's just a theory I have. Um, yeah. It's a fracturing from, from my experience with my own fracturing, the level of, it's a new level of fracturing when you see someone like that on the street running about. I mean, the drugs are a part of it and, but it's, it's a complete utter fracturing of the psyche, the soul, the spirit, the mind, the filter our mind is a filter that allows this reality to take place and allows me to look at the screen and understand what's happening. And that, that filter gets decimated mm -hmm. by a series of events, whether it be trauma or, or drugs or drugs and trauma. And mm -hmm. I don't know what happens after an individual like that passes, but I have theories that we, we go where we're at, you know? So like if we're that level of fractured, when we pass, we, we're going into a million different places. Interesting. And if we really know how to navigate these waters when we're conscious and awake, then perhaps we can navigate almost like a trip, like a hallucinogenic trip when we pass that we can navigate and have more choice. Sure. All of this is just theory, you know, I, I really sure. don't know. Uh, so back to your story. So you yeah. were in this mental hospital, you, you learned these incredibly tough lessons, but you knew that you weren't, that you weren't. I knew that wasn't my path. Okay. Okay. I, knew I would die. I would rather die than choose that path. Sure. It wasn't a path to wellness. It was a complete dead end. And it was basically, okay, I'm not going to die, but I can do this path and I can take Seroquel every day and be a zombie. 
And I decided in that moment that it was just was not my path. And I also decided when the panic subsided, I decided that I needed to explore hallucinogens more. That instead of running away from the ayahuasca, I realized whatever that was, that experience was just showing me what is inside of me. And I needed to further explore it. And I started doing mushrooms. I started changing my diet. I started doing mushrooms with micro doses in the woods with a friend, working my way up to higher doses, having awful, awful experiences every time. Not once in my hundreds of hallucinogenic journeys, uh, maybe maybe a hundred between all of the things that I've done. Maybe, I don't know, 75, whatever the number is, it's a lot. <laughs> Never once have I had a pleasurable experience. They were all agonizing. They were all showing me this, this dark trauma inside of me, this ball of multi-generational trauma. And almost like a, in hindsight, I could tell you that I felt a poison in my blood. Wow. I felt a poison in my blood, but I did not know how to process that or comprehend that. You had, no, you had no reference point for that. No reference point whatsoever. Yeah. I thought I had a curse, you know, like I've seen movies where like someone gets bitten by something and their arm starts turning into something else, you know, like, like that movie with that, that guy, the South African guy who starts turning into an alien district. Oh, nine. District nine. Yeah. District nine. Yeah. And I literally like the feeling I had inside was like, I have a virus that's like spreading throughout my body and I'm, I'm going to oh. die, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I started doing a lot of mushrooms and fasting and changing my diet. And eventually I, did any of this help? These things gave me more of an observer, strengthened my observer Mm -hmm. and they strengthened my connection. So I could experience a moment of clarity, even just for 10 seconds, which I never had before. But to say they helped that strong word. Sure. Okay. No relief, no Mm -hmm. relief. And um, eventually, I, I decided to go back to the Amazon. Mm-hmm. I met a woman who happened to go to my high school who was working at the Temple of the Way of Light. And she was the communications director there. And we hit it off. And I went to the Amazon with her a second time. And she was a guiding light for me. And she helped me. She helped hold me. And she was one of the few people ever in my life at that point in time that wasn't afraid of what I was dealing with, which is a very powerful thing. You know, that's the definition of being able to hold, hold an individual in a crisis experience is if you can be there with that individual, maybe you're triggered, maybe you're nervous, but if you can hold them and see their higher self and not get caught in their story, then you're, that's the definition of holding someone, right? And that's what everyone in that experience needs is someone to hold them, not say, I think you have this wrong with you. I think you have that wrong with you. It's just a simple holding of this is happening to you, but I'm seeing you outside of this and I'm holding you to that, right? Sure. And that's what she was for me. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Amazon and I spent five and a half months and I drank another 21 times. Uh, again, every experience was agonizing, but through my fasting and my meditation practices and my, 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 my meditation walks and my self-love practices, I was able to make it through. It was a spiritual boot camp. I spent hours a day walking barefoot on the earth, telling myself I love myself, holding my heart, breathing, stretching, chanting, praying speaking about my experience to other people there. It was a six-month spiritual boot camp. Wow, I love that. I've never heard that expression, a spiritual boot camp. That's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. and I had no choice. It was all of these practices were what kept me afloat. Mm -hmm. And so I spent five and a half months there and relief, I wouldn't call it relief, but I was able to connect to spirit and connect to something higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the shamans were all telling me that uh, I needed to do a dieta, you know, an apprenticeship. 
to, to learn from them and to learn from the plants. Mm-hmm. And this to me made sense because I was, by the way, I don't know how we are on time, but I, you know, we have like another 20 minutes or so. We're good. Okay. So I'll move quicker. Um, basically these shamans told me I should do a dieta and in my mind, a, a, a shamanic dieta was the right move for me because mm-hmm. I thought I was having a, a spiritual, a shamanic crisis, you know, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that resonated with me. So I left, I flew home from the Amazon. I spent nine months at home. I was caddying at a country club all while now, fasting. Uh, Josh, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Was, was your general state after this time in the Amazon, was there relief? Was it, were you at a, a generally better place? Yes, I was at a better place, but I was, in hindsight, life was so difficult to maintain and that level of, that small amount of peace that I had, it was so hard to maintain it. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it was foolish for me to think that like, oh, life is just supposed to be this hard and it takes this amount of work to keep my sanity, mm-hmm. to keep my peace. So to answer your question, yes, I was in a better space, but it took so much work on a daily mm-hmm. basis you know, mm-hmm. to have it. I understand. Okay, thank you. So yeah, so you got this job as a caddy. Got the job as a caddy and um, uh, I had the job for a while and caddied for nine months, did a lot of fasting, a lot of cleansing, continuing my journey of chanting and meditating, saved up money to go to the Amazon a third time to do a dieta, an isolation dieta in Kantamana, where I wouldn't have human contact except for the sh- with shamans. And it would be 90 days where I was isolated, deep 30 minute walk into the jungle in a little hut and drink ayahuasca three times a week, and then also consume this tree called Wairakaspi. And uh, to me, it made sense. It sounds nuts, but of all the tools I had in my life, ayahuasca and the shamans were the only tool that I truly trusted, Mm -hmm. and that gave me any sort of peace compared to all of the other tools that I had. Sure. So I embarked on it. And I spent 28 days uh, and I tapped out after 28 days. I couldn't even finish the month (laughs) to think about that. I had two more days left and I I literally couldn't do it. Um, uh, I was suffering immensely. I was passing out pretty much daily. I was fainting on the jungle floor daily, waking up who knows how long later, maybe three, four minutes, maybe just a few seconds um, with... Uh, so much unrest. I mean, my body was emaciated. I was eating seafood, fish and plantains, and the seafood will be significant when I get to the end of the story. But uh, just fracturing myself, utter fracturing. I mean, a healthy person with a good head on their shoulders and, and a good relationship to their mind would find themselves freaking out in this experience. Yeah. For me, I was just being fractured. Wow. Wow. Just wow. Okay. Every day. And, um, yeah. And after 28 days, I just, I sat with myself and I said, if I continue down this path, I will never integrate back into society. I will never have a normal relationship again with another human being. You know, there's and, something to be said for something, something I have on my mind a lot, Josh is, there's this general trend, especially with what we do with, with the kind of coaching, positive mental attitude, self-help type group of people in, in which any idea or notion of quitting or giving up is considered heresy or weakness or, you know, just unthinkable. I know one of the people I actually had look up to, David Goggins, you know, that guy, he just, he, he will not give up, Right. And I respect that a lot about him, but I think there's certain, I think that, that, that idea that you just never, ever give up. Sometimes it can it's a poison sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's a poison. And I, I respect you for saying, look, I got to tap out. You know, this, <laughs> there comes a point in life where sometimes giving up is the right thing, you know, and that's not necessarily to say giving up on life is the right thing, but on your particular course of actions. Yeah. So that sounds like that was that point for you on day 28 when you realized you had to change course, right? Yeah, it was, it was a, a total surrender. I knew that that path wasn't looking good for me anymore. And it would have led to my death or my insanity if I continued down it. So very, it would have been a very foolish machismo energy that would have led me down, down that hole, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, so you left the Amazon? 
I left the Amazon uh, more broken than I've ever been in my whole life. That I would say that was the worst I'd ever been in my entire life after I left that Amazon. Panic attacks all day, every day, severe, severe unrest, electricity running through my body, uh, not one second of peace in a given day. I would think about just surviving for each hour. I would literally look at the clock and say, okay, just survive until 10 a.m. Just survive until just fucking don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself this hour. And I literally would reach a new hour and just be like, okay, 11 a.m. Just make it to 11 a.m. And I would just do that every single hour. And eventually I went to my friend's place in Miami and my best friend, Ed and Lambert, and uh, was just a disheveled mess there. And I spent a month there. Had him, I literally had to have him choke me unconscious. Uh, well, he doesn't even know jujitsu. And I, I taught him a triangle choke and was like, I need you to put me out. Gotcha. Because I was afraid that I was going to jump off of his balcony. He's on the 21st floor of the building. And I caught this wave. Like, there were waves of, of suicidal thoughts, you know, like where there would be these. Sometimes there were just these weird intrusive thoughts and they didn't really mean much. And then other times there were these, like, a force of like literally like a force that if I so choose that flow of energy, like it would have been done like that, you know? And it was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I almost went on that like train of energy. And I I just ran into his room and, and had, and taught him how to do a a triangle choke and had him choke me out because I needed a fucking break. I just needed to go out. And uh, I didn't, I mean, didn't really help, but at least, at least I just told him my truth. Just expressing to him how bad I was, was, was medicine for me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I eventually came home. My parents were an absolute mess about the situation. And I told them, actually what I did is I, I started planning a trip to Africa for Iboga. Damn. Uh, Iboga was the lat. Iboga was the thing, and I don't know if it was your podcast or some other podcast that I listened to about Iboga and some drug addictions. And I said, I have the mind of a drug addict. The, my last thing to do before I take my own life is to go do Iboga. This is my final straw. I promised myself that I would never take my own life until I did Iboga, because to me, Iboga felt like some sort of miracle some sort of grandfather miracle that would reset my whole nervous system and provide enlightenment. And I would be like Eckhart Tolle coming out of the darkness after all these years and just all of a sudden being enlightened. And I was like, sure. instead, of, instead of waking up one morning and having it, I needed to go do it to Africa to have it done to me or something like that. Okay. Whatever my crazy life was. Fair enough. So I uh, planned that trip. I paid the shaman $4,200. I bought my flight, which was like $1,800, all on credit cards, opened up $25,000 worth of credit cards, paid for all of that, only told one person, only told Edin. I filmed a video in case I died that I wanted to be on YouTube as a memory, and that's my first ever YouTube video. And, And I decided that that was for me and that I was going to, and if it didn't work, I was going to fast in the, in the wilderness, in the Gabonese jungle. I was just going to fast my way out of this life because I convinced myself that if I were to take my own life, if I fasted the hard way and just didn't eat and didn't drink, God would recognize my, my death, that it would be instead of blowing my brains out, it would be like, He fasted his way out. Let's not torture him again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense in some strange kind of, I get what you're saying, right? Yeah. yeah. And there is that saying that uh, spiritually, why you shouldn't commit suicide is because if you do, you just come right back to where you started and you have to learn all the lessons again. So you were trying to hack that, I guess. Is- I was trying to hack that and I, yeah. I saw that to be true in all of my ayahuasca journeys. I literally saw it in my face as like a path that I could take. Like you take okay. your own life, you just do it. You know, it's like this vicious yeah. cycle. So I was two days away from getting on that plane mm-hmm. and I started uh, ruminating on my mercury fillings. So what gave you, if you don't mind me asking, what gave you that idea? To I sat next to a woman uh, in this five and a half months. I sat next to a woman who was there for my 12-day retreat. At the place where I was at, I was there for 
several months and then you do 12 days inten intensive. The woman I sat next to was a heavy metal detox um, coach and she had experienced um, aluminum toxicity. And uh, so she, all of the things that she had told me and explained to me, I, I resonated with. I even resonated with it so much that I got a, I actually knew about mercury up until this point in my journey, but I, I even had a hair test, but I, and with high levels of mercury and I gave it no credence whatsoever. Mm. In my mind, I don't know anyone who had mercury poisoning. It didn't make any sense to me. I don't have like mercury fillings. There's no way that could be an issue. My, the level of discipline and mind over body like this, like, it's all about my intentions. It's all about my thoughts. The level that I cultivated was so strong that it would have been like a suit, like a death for me to say that something was affecting me and like something was poisoning me. Like, what so do you mean? Something I mean, it's, it's kind of, to me, it sounds like you had, look, one of the things every, any actualized person has to do is take responsibility, right? Take complete personal responsibility um, for their health, for their career, with the relationships but it sounds to me like it kind of it turned in on itself a little bit you were like i have done something to myself or there is something that i can control or i'll think my way out of or out intention intention my way out of is does that make sense precisely is that, is that what you, is that, okay yeah that that's that's very interesting to me that's fascinating okay I, and, and almost precise. like admitting that it was mercury would almost feel like a, a failure on your part a cop-out yeah and the simple admittance, admitting that it was something that was controlling me would take me out of that moment to moment power that I had cultivated around not letting anything come into my field, right? Sure, sure. Simply going into that space of like, oh, maybe something else is affecting me. No, 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 that's you being a victim. Get it out of here. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and that was how I learned how to, how to survive. And, you know, now understanding more about the body like it makes so much sense but to put this into perspective like i was coming from like a jersey upbringing new jersey bro upbringing wrestler jujitsu like people in these categories of life don't like aren't open to anything you know like anything unusual um and myself included i was still being cracked open to a deeper truth um yeah. So I just didn't, I didn't allow it into my field. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't believe it to be true. Okay. I thought it was a hoax. I thought it was a hoax. So anyway, eventually I said, okay, I'm going to Africa. I opened up these credit cards. If I'm going to take my own life, I may as well get these feelings out because maybe they're affecting me. And in my mind, they were like an antenna, like a metallic antenna affecting my frequency and my signal. I didn't even think about the mercury as much as sure. the, the conducting, you know, force of the metal in my mouth. So I go to a dentist, I get the fillings taken out, $2,700. And uh, again, on the credit card, totally broke at this point. And I come home and I Google for some reason, I just like, you know what, let me just see. Maybe there's something here about mercury. I Google mercury poisoning stories. It was the first or the second page. Mercurymadness.info, Connie Fox. And I weeped and weeped and weeped when I read that story. It's only a couple page story. And I read that story and I said, holy shit, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the only other human being that I've read that understands this level of torment that it, opening she explained that literally opening a cab uh, shutting a cabinet door hurt her entire body and i didn't know anyone else who could possibly explain things in that term in that way and that's exactly what i was dealing with mm -hmm. knock on the door would just send my whole body into a fight or flight mm -hmm. so i read that story and i just broke down in my basement at my mom's house and i just broke down and i read it three four five times and i i called my dad on speakerphone and i called my mom in the basement and i said guys you almost lost your son i said in 24 hours i was about to get on a plane to africa and i didn't tell anyone and i was gonna go but i just after three and a half years found out what i have going on with me 
I know. Like, the fuck are you talking about? They're like, they don't, they don't trust me at all at this point. Sure, for sure. And I showed them this story and I, I said, this is what I'm dealing with. Uh, you have to, but if you want your son, you have to trust me and I need your full support. I did, once I landed on this, it was like my whole soul and being was just like, okay, you found something. You found mm-hmm. something that's real for you. So I, I just, I told them that they help me or they're going to lose their son. I didn't give them a choice. You know, I literally was like, you have to give me, I need everything. You have to support me financially, emotionally. This is my only chance. I'm not going on pharmaceutical drugs. They wanted me to go back on drugs. It's not happening. You're going to mm-hmm. fucking lose me or you're going to help me. Mm-hmm. And they, they gave me everything. They, they paid for all of my my detox, I, I went on an intense detoxification protocol through mm-hmm. a few different sources, removed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of parasites, healed my gut, took a bunch of binders and started doing mercury chelation and transformed my life in, in six, six, seven months. Transformed my life and the healing it continues. It's been two and a half years since that, that day in that basement. Mm-hmm. And, um, and your, your general quality of life and your and your your mental where you are mentally what out of on a scale of one to ten where would you say it, say it is i don't know what a ten is because i mean maybe i've had glimpses of a ten uh mm-hmm. but i feel i feel more solid and i'm more i feel more solid than almost anyone i know mm-hmm. i feel there's i have zero depression i have zero panic i have i still have uh ptsd Mm-hmm. Um, I still have this feeling of like, like uh, one day it can all be ripped away from me again. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the way I was with jujitsu and how the rug just got ripped from underneath me. It's like, it's this feeling of like, don't get too comfortable because maybe one day you'll go right back. Sure. Into the gauntlet. sure. But on an average uh, daily basis, I mean, I'm super, super productive. I have a massive YouTube channel coaching. You know, I have seven, eight one-on-one clients all around the world right now. I, you know, just, yeah, I'm solid. I'm solid. Uh, and I feel happy and joyous and I have an amazing relationship. My life is fucking amazing. Right? Yeah. You made <laughs> but, it. Uh, but so like I could go into the whole like everything's great and life is great. But the realness of it is that there's definitely an underlying wound and trauma and PTSD that may take another few years. Sure. I mean still uh, uh what i generally feel from from your your i don't want to say presence because you're not present with me but from my interaction i can sense that there is you've earned a, a kind of a stillness to your being and a kind of a, a a centeredness that i think only really comes well, the only people who have it are the ones who've been through the darkness do, do you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. it's something that has to be earned it's not given Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's a skill not an inborn talent you know and, and you've acquired that skill you've, you've you've paid the price to become to become that person and, and josh mm-hmm. respect to you my brother that's that's thank phenomenal you. thank you bro. And we're coming we're coming to the end of um of time but uh if if people want to work with you or they want to hear about your um your program it's your website is called detoxdudes.com is that correct the detoxdudes.com, the detoxdudes.com. yeah i I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> I have checked it out before, but I'm going to go check it out again because it's, it's an incredibly powerful story. And I'm, I'm so happy that you've, you've used this, this newfound reclamation of, of wellness. Now you've decided to help people with it. And I think that that's what it's all about. You know, once you conquer any challenge in life, whether it be once you figure out a great career or you master the game of money or you understand and learn about relationships or you, understand or learn about physicality and nutrition. The next level is to teach it to others and share it with others. And that's what you're doing, which I, I truly respect, Josh. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure now you guys understand what I meant when I said Josh had been through hell on earth. You know, I've had, as I mentioned in the show, a couple of panic attacks in my life in, in my almost 40 years on this earth. I think probably only one and a half because the one was, a pretty full-blown panic attack and the other one was not quite that severe and these lasted each of them didn't last more than an hour 
and the idea of having to live in that state for let alone several days but even weeks and months is just i can't even face the thought of it because it is such an unbearable state of being and the fact that josh figured it out should give us all hope you know some of us he found liberation from from physical disease and and mental torment and for the rest of us who might have maybe something not as intense such as feeling trapped by a career or a job that we hate or in a relationship that we don't enjoy we should take heart that if josh made it through that we can we can find liberation from our issues um relatively easily or at least with with just a little bit of effort and searching so i hope you guys enjoyed that first episode and uh be sure to check out the liberation mentor facebook page just do a search for liberation mentor on facebook and you'll find it and uh also remember guys i am now taking on my next batch of clients for q3 for my coaching and mentoring services if you want to find out more about that just head on over to liberationmentor.com Until next time, guys, blessings on you.